Open up a copy of God's Word. The text uh, this morning is Luke 7, and uh, you can find it on page 864 in the Pew Bible. Uh, We have uh, followed along uh, in our course of study with Luke. Luke is our guide. Uh, He is not a biographer, though. I've said this before. Uh, He is not just trying to capture, uh, you know, all the details or the high points of Jesus' life. He actually has a message. He has a a good news, a gospel to proclaim that helps us understand. It points us to the main character of what uh, is here, Christ, his identity, Christ's message, Christ's unique hope that he brings. Uh, Jesus, uh, thus far, we've already seen, as, hi- you know, as highlighted by Luke, has, uh, has done some miraculous things. He has said some profound things. He has been, uh, he's been writing some checks that, uh, as you will, uh, so to speak, uh, you better be able to cash. And in fact, he only could cash uh, these checks and make good on these promises and realities if in- indeed he was planning to die and be raised. To, to defeat death, to conquer uh, the grave. And uh, that's where we're headed is uh, resurrection uh, power in Christ. I know I ask you to sit down, apologize, stand back up. Uh, in deference to God's word, uh, let's read together our text. Verse 36 is where we begin. One of the Pharisees asked him, that is Jesus, to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner... When she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind, uh, behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair, the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner." And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, well, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender who had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love me more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, of whom the debt is the larger debt. And he said to him, you've judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, uh, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased kissing my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Continuing on the first three verses of chapter 8, soon afterward, he, Jesus, went on through the cities and villages, proclaiming, bringing the good news of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, and whom, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Cuzza, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and, other, and many others who provided for them, that is the twelve, out of their means. This is God's word. Thanks be to him. You can be seated. Let's ask God's help. Father, we do pray that you would guide us to have a vision, a, a focus, uh, a sense of clarity, so that you would shine 
that you would shine brighter than our sorrows and our temptations and, and even our distractions. Um, we ask this and ask your blessing on your word in Christ's name. Amen. I am going to assume that most of you, all of you, have been at some point to an art museum, maybe a history museum, a space museum, a science museum, some type of museum. And whenever you go to a museum, I've been to loads and loads of them all around the world, and you know some of them were, were just profound and amazing. You can see why people go there day after day, even on vacation. But, uh, but there's, there's groups of people, right, that are in that, uh, that museum, and with differing uh, degrees of, of engagement, right? You know, there's the person who's, uh, who's following along with the guide, and uh, then there's the person who, like an you know, in-person guide, and then there's the person that's going through with one of those, like, headsets, right? That you can, like, press a button when you're in front of, or, well, I guess nowadays, you, you, you know, you, you QR scan it, and then you get the, you know, the, the, the headphone version. Or then there's other people that just make their way through the museum, and they go, hmm, hmm. Maybe they're by themselves, and they stroll through rather quickly. But inevitably, the, 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 the group, the person who has a guide of some sort is the one, and particularly the one who has the, the most you know, knowledgeable guide, is the one who is able, has a capacity to appreciate it the most. Uh, they're the ones, in fact, even so much so that even the person who's making their way through rather quickly will sometimes slow down to overhear, to listen in. You know what they do? The curator or the, uh, the museum guide would say, look at this piece of of art, you know, and let me tell you the backstory. Let me let me explain, you know, what was some of the inspiration, and and you see this, you know, this this the tail over here, and 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 these these parts over there, and then you you have a whole new appreciation, right? Like it it enhances that, and you know what? When we come to God's word, when we 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 get this text open, I love my job because I'm not the artist. I'm I'm just a curator at best, and and I get to point out this great, incredible story, this overarching narrative that is so beautiful from creation to fall to redemption to someday full restoration. And we get to to gather around and I get to say, hey everybody, let's slow down and let's let's appreciate and let's let's enhance our ability to uh, enjoy who God is by looking at some of these uh, smaller details and some of the some of the scenes. So let me just set the the scene for us here before I go on to kind of the two overarching things that are uh, that are operating as I see it. The scene is this: uh, a Pharisee, and I'm just just recasting it. We just read it, but let's slow down. The, the scene is such: a Pharisee, Simon. Uh, maybe he's not part of the cruel and the critical crowd of the Pharisees, but he's a Pharisee. And, uh, and he's, he's willing to give Jesus the time of day so much so that he has a party and he's invited as, as a guest, as a dinner guest at this party. He's presumably wealthy enough to set a nice table to have people into his home. Jesus goes and enjoys uh, the hospitality gladly. Guest uh, made, uh, was, would be the custom, would made cheerfully. Uh, with you know, with joy, greet one another, uh, you know, with a with a kiss, even as they do in Mediterranean cultures, and even as we might handshake or, well, let me fist pump or elbow nowadays, right? W- w- you know, this was the custom. People would make their way in, and and from time to time, because they lived in an arid country in time, uh, people would be wearing sandals. It would be dusty, and their feet would be dirty. That uh, it wasn't required of guests or host to their guests to provide a means to wash their feet or a servant to come wash their feet. Sometimes uh, they did. And as much as, um, 
And scholars say that even these events would sometimes, uh, you know, in that particular, you know, cultural context would be a semi-public event, right? So there would be open door. The, the, the primary guests are the ones who were allowed and invited to come sit at the table, um, but their other guests were allowed to come in and, and over-listen and overhear the conversation of the day and, and uh, discussion. And, and then maybe, maybe after everything was said and done, they would have a few scraps to uh, enjoy off of the table afterwards. It would have been proper etiquette as much as it is proper etiquette in, in our time and space that you keep your, you know, your feet off the table. Uh, there, it's you don't put your feet under the table. And you, you get the, the imagery right. Maybe you, you picked up on that at the opening verse there, verse 36. They were reclined at table, presumably some type of pillow as they leaned against and would have, would have eaten their food at the table with their feet extended out away from it. And that's the scene. And then this woman comes and uh, she makes her way in amongst, uh, amongst the, the group. I presume that you know, they didn't just stop conversation, but a lot of people's eye are on this woman. The, the host, Simon the Pharisee, sees her, and it's, it's probably creating all kinds of psychological noise because she is a, uh, uh, she is a woman of the city, which, which would have been you know, a euphemism of the day, like we would say a, a, a woman of the night or a, a woman of the streets. I remember the first time my parents said, that's a, I said, you know, who is, that's a street walker. I'm like, well, who's not walking, you know? Uh, <laughs> But, but the euphemism is there. We, we don't know that for certain, but she, she obviously, her reputation has preceded her in the worst sense. And, and this is operating in other people's minds. They, they continue, but they notice her. They can't help but notice her. Of course, they can't help but notice her all the more when she stands up at Jesus' feet. And uh, this, would have been, this would have been all kinds of, in many ways, inappropriate. The fact that she would have let her hair down, which would not have been, uh, you know, becoming in public for a woman. It, this, was, this is kind of scandalous. And so here she is, and, and she's, she's weeping and, and tending to Jesus. I think you get the picture a little bit. What would be, by the way, their world, our world, our world, if you see a picture now... Uh, you know, every once in a while, someone will say, write a caption for this. You know, it, you know you're invited to, you know, overlay your meme on top of this. If this is the scene that Luke has, has painted for us, what would be the caption for you? The, the caption for me, it's what I've titled the sermon, is the power of forgiveness. It's a moving scene. It's, it's very moving. And there's this devotion and sacrifice. I, I really call it the power of forgiveness. Just two desirable things that I see here operating. I, I've got it listed in the order of service. Simply this, seeing things rightly and loving Jesus boldly. There's this turn of phrase here in the the text, as Luke records, verse 43, Jesus turns and says, Simon, you have judged rightly. But that was a real surface compliment. And, and we have a, we, it's challenging sometimes for us to, to see and perceive rightly for a whole host of reasons, not because we're just finite people, but because we're, 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 you know, we're twisted and tainted and biased and all these, all of us to a person, and of course. Now, here, in a small sense, Simon gets it. Because he does acknowledge that Jesus, if you read there in verse 40, is a teacher. And, and he, he, he had enough curiosity concerning Christ, Jesus, 
that he invited him to his home. He didn't dismiss him. He wanted to engage and converse with him. He may have, you know, he may have believed him to be a prophet of God. That's maybe what it was operating in his assumptions. But that changes as soon as he realizes that Jesus is not as repulsed by this woman as he is. And that's when he, sa- that's when he says, what does it say? Uh, verse 39, if this man were a prophet, surely he would know who's, who's touching him. She's a sinner. Don't miss this detail. Luke didn't say that Simon said that out loud. In fact, he said quite different. This is what verse 39 says. He said this to himself. And then Jesus says in reply, how is that possible? Jesus, he discerns Simon. It's like he looks at Simon and says, I've got an answer for you because I know right, I, I can peer right into your mind and your heart. I know what you're thinking. I know what you're asking yourself. And then what transpires shows ultimately that Simon does not see himself rightly or Jesus rightly. Now, those are important things. So let me pause here just as a side note, right? What, 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 what do we know? How do we see and perceive things? And how do we do that rightly? John Calvin, in the opening of his Institutes of Christian Religion, this great Swiss reformer of the 16th century, writes, Our wisdom, insofar as it ought to be deemed true and solid wisdom, consists almost entirely of two parts. Here are the two parts. The knowledge of God and of ourselves. But as these are connected together with many ties. The knowledge of God, the knowledge of self. He goes on to say, Calvin says that when we have a knowledge of ourself rightly, then it would urge us, it would prompt us to want to know God. Because without, but he goes on to say, but without the knowledge of God, there is no knowledge of self. He goes on to write, on the other hand, it is evident that man never attains, never attains to a true self-knowledge until he have previously contemplated the face of God and come down after such contemplation to look into himself. For, such as in our innate pride, we always seem to ourselves just and upright and wise and holy until we are convinced by clear evidence of our injustice, vileness, folly, and impurity. Convinced, however, we are not, if we look to ourselves only and not to the Lord also. Now, we know that Simon, and much like any other Pharisee of the day, would not have described himself as without sin, perfect. That would not have been the case. He would have acknowledged that in part, But even here, the problem is the Pharisee could say, yes, but, but not as bad as this vile, sinful woman clearly is. You know, when we pray at the close, we pray in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now, we, 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 we understand that we are indebted to God. There, there, is, there is something 
here that we actually have to seek out, ask for forgiveness. When you perceive your inability to repair and repay things with God. Why would you ask for forgiveness, though, if you thought you could rebuild, repay, and, you know, rework this all out? You wouldn't, you wouldn't, you wouldn't need to do that, but we do. When Jesus enters in with this brief parable, he chooses his, his scales, I think, uh, scales, this meaning scales, uh, verse 41, carefully. Right? Remember, there's one that has 50, indebtedness of 50 denarii, and another one 10 times that. And, and I think it's almost as if to, to kind of, you know, look at, at Simon and say, I'm going to hold up the mirror for you. You see, you see yourself as a little bit indebted compared to this woman. That's convenient. But notice... The common denominator. He may perceive it as very minimal, but he's wrong. Because the scandal and the outrage of God's grace and forgiveness here is that both are forgiven and both are restored. And both of them, think about this, right? Both of them, it's, I mean, it's clearly recorded as Jesus said it. When they could not pay, neither of them were going to repay this. Recently, I uh, refinanced our house. Rates are great. But parents, people in my parents' generation would tell you that there was a time, you know, back in the, back in the 80s, the greatest decade ever, <laughs> except for interest rates, when there was 17%. To buy a house. Imagine that. If you had gone through all of those years, and then when you're you know, in that generation, you've presumably gotten closer, you've paid off your mortgage entirely, and you're right there. What if, what if my bank came and said, you know what? To you and to you, all of you, just forgiven. We're going to cancel the debt. You own the house outright. Here's the note. <laughs> that would be great for people on my end of things. <laughs> Again, the common denominator is that neither of them can pay it themselves in the parable. This is our predicament. We cannot stand God who indeed at the the end is our judge. We have not loved the creator with our whole self. We have not loved our neighbor as ourself. So often we have, in fact, instead we've looked upon our neighbor as, you know, a gauge of comparison. And that that could manifest itself in a lot of ways, but I'm not talking about jealousy or envy. I'm talking about superiority. Well, at least I'm not as bad as them. I always want to say that. You know, when my wife corrects me when we're driving, rightly, Troy, check your speed, slow down. I'm thinking to myself, I mean, maybe I'm going 80, but, you know, that Porsche just is going 100 miles an hour. Not that, my, not that my beater Civic could even do that, but, uh, you know, we, we do that, don't we? We, we, we? It's not that bad. 1 Timothy 1.15, the Apostle Paul says this. 
Here is a trustworthy saying, deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of which I am, or of whom I am, the foremost. The chief of sinners. Now, Paul, did you go and take an inventory? Did you go, did you go do a census of, of everyone's moral failures and discern that, in fact, you really are the most corrupt? That's not what he's saying at all. He's not looking outward horizontally. He's saying, in the sight of a holy God, I know my knowledge of self. I can't imagine that anyone is worse or more needy or, or, or more grateful, frankly, for the forgiveness of God. Simon isn't coming around. The woman that she describes, the sinner, clearly she has. She's a nameless person. And, 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 and frankly, get this. She's speechless. I mean, I'm not, not just because of emotion, but, but, but Luke records nothing. She says nothing in the text. And yet she speaks so loud, doesn't she? She communicates very clearly. Second point, this is commendable. There's loving here Jesus boldly. Seeing things rightly because she does perceive herself. She does perceive Jesus rightly, unlike Simon. But by faith, here she is, loving Jesus boldly. It would have been bold for her to enter this home. She knows her reputation. They know her. She has no regard for her appearance at this point. She's overwhelmed with gratitude, love, devotion for Jesus. Verse 38 says she's weeping. Clearly, this is not a gentle tear that you pat out. This is a shower, enough so much that it could wash away some of the dirt on Jesus' feet, weeping, weeping. The alabaster flask that's mentioned there in verse 37 would have been maybe a family inheritance. This is of of immense worth. It would have been an ointment or perfume that would only require just a, a few drops, a tremendous gift. She's bold. She's sacrificial in her love because she cannot imagine anything. Jesus is worth it to her, worth her very life. What's worth it to you? Are there things, people, interests in your life that it doesn't matter what the cost or what, what money's involved, you will give it, that you will sacrifice? Of course there are. Yes, undoubtedly, every last one of us. There are things to us that are priceless, important. A priority. We live in an age, of course, where tolerance and, and moderation are king and queen virtue. Even Jesus, he's okay, but don't take it too far. By all means, don't become fanatical about Jesus. What will people say about your life? We look at this woman's life, and we don't even know her name, but she speaks so loud. What would Jesus say about your life and mine? Maybe a better way to put it is, in view of our text, 
is what would your life say about Jesus? Does your life or my life say Jesus is just an occasional vehicle to get some type of inspiration or blessing? Or will our lives say that he's, he's worthy of our, our worship, our devotion, our commitment, even, yes, our sacrifice? She has experienced clearly the immense power of forgiveness. And now she will love much. She is loving much. In response, let's look again at the text, verse 47. What does Jesus say there? Therefore, I tell you, as confused as you are, Simon, in your self righteousness, therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are indeed many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. The value is priceless, the cost that it will involve for her is irrelevant. But that can only truly be priceless for, for when and if he is who he said he is. And he does conquer death and is raised, resurrected. Now, back to the scene. Jesus' estimation of her, notice that he doesn't, when all this is going on, doesn't deny her, her attention or her adoration. He doesn't say, over the top, this, this is too much. You know, this is blasphemous. This is inappropriate or whatever. No, no, no. He receives it. He doesn't stop her. He doesn't say this is ridiculous. He commends her and, in fact, corrects Simon. He vindicates her. He assures her. Verse 48, he says to her at this, this, this tender you know, moment, your sins in front of everyone all the more mean something. To her, your sins are forgiven. What came first? Was it her love? Was it her devotion? Was it her, her, these acts of kindness or sacrifice? And then the forgiveness? Think about this. Now, the testimony of Scripture is very clear. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19 says, We love because He first loved us. And here it is. Here it is on display, illustrated so powerfully for us. And our capacity, by the way, to love relates to, corresponds to, our knowledge of God and our knowledge of self. How profound the sin is. I remember as a young boy, if I did my homework and I didn't hit my brother, which I was extremely prone to do, not the homework, but the hitting. I would take an assessment at the end of the day. I'd be like, I think I made it through the whole day without sinning. And, and here I am, now, I, I, can't make it, I can't make it through an hour. And I don't despair of it. I, I, I see now all the more how much he's forgiven me, how much I need his mercy to shower down. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. By the way, Jesus is not saying, well, 
live it up, live for self, indulge sin, you're always going to do that. No, he's not. He, he's saying, he's inviting us to turn, to forsake sin, to abandon sin, to follow him, to forsake selfishness, to turn away from things like bitterness or self-righteousness, which so often paralyzes our ability to forgive people in our present and past. Our capacity and ability to love and forgive other people is sometimes, these, again, these things are correlating. I, I was having a conversation this, this week with Pastor uh, Matt Owens, and, and he put it so well, I can't even say it better. But he writes this, or spoke this, I wrote it down. Jesus is more outraged at sin than we are. Okay? So as much as Simon was, you know, <gasps> the guests were, oh, my This is what Matt said. Jesus is more outraged at sin than we are and yet is more compassionate towards sinners than we are. And the guests at the party here in our scene, it's not lost on them. I mean, they they were already choking over their food because this woman walked in and did these things, but now they're choking because what did Jesus just say? For you're forgiven? Only God can do that. Precisely. Yes, this is the God-man. Friend of sinners and Savior of sinners. Who, who says to you, who says to us, says to me, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how deep it is. It doesn't matter how dark it is. Repent and believe. Your sins are forgiven. Your faith, what does it say? It's the, it's, 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 it's the conclusion. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Obviously, other people took up the same love too. I failed to mention, but those opening verses say that these other women, having experienced His forgiveness, have experienced His healing touch, they too gave of their means to join in on mission, lovingly giving of their own means so that the work of the disciples and the message of the kingdom could go forward. So it it relates to money too. No surprise there. The love of God. But for Jesus to say, look to, to you, to me, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Again, to my opening comments is a check that you can cash. I mean, that, that, that is powerful because Jesus has paid it all. All the debt. All to him I owe. Love him boldly. Father, please write uh, this, your word, on our hearts and minds. Guide our minds our will into a deeper understanding of who your Son is, our Lord, our King. Lord, that our hearts would go and pour deeper into affection, our lives into change that reflects His glory and His worth. Lord, I thank you this morning for the example of uh, the illustration of this woman and her sacrificial love and devotion.
Lord, I pray that you would be pleased to bring a revival, that you would bring renewal spiritually to our area. We know it happens if your spirit comes and, and, and starts with repentance. And I pray, God, you'd, you'd let it begin with us. Father, we look to you this morning with great thanks. We pray especially for uh, our mothers today and their high calling. We pray that you would uh, strengthen them, that you would guide them, that you would fill them with, uh, with wisdom and with love that comes from above. Lord, I pray that you would comfort and provide for those who miss their mothers, uh, those who today uh, grieve the loss of children, even those who long to be mothers and wait painfully at times, but patiently on your provision. Lord, you know the hearts of everyone here. I pray that you'd pour out your, your hope. You'd fill them with truth. You would fill us with your spirit that we would surrender and yield our lives to you. We yield our, our resources to you. Lord, you know that we have struggles as we wait for uh, the, the hope of glory as broken people. We need healing. We need encouragement. And some in, in ways more than others. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to seek first you and your kingdom and our callings and our priorities because you are just that. So tremendously valuable as our king. Draw close to those, Lord, today who have doubts, who feel paralyzed, who feel overwhelmed, burdened with the trials of life. For we pray, even now as the Lord Jesus taught his disciples to pray, saying together,